Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this community and uh, bless you tremendously for the opportunity that we have to gather and to learn and to study. And I pray that as we do, our hearts and our minds and our souls are enriched and inspired once again to follow hard after you. And in these beatitudes, in these blessings, in these pronouncements of who's in the kingdom, I pray that we would find ourselves once again in your story and that our identities and our behaviors would be transformed once again by that truth and that reality. And we pray in your name. Amen. This segment and installation of the Beatitudes series is blessed or happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, at the very beginning, I just want to make sure that you understand that those of us who have the speaking disease, those of us who do a lot of talking, uh, attempt to do a lot of listening as well. And this, when Danielle, I got to tell you something, when Danielle gave her first message, and if you haven't heard it, you need to go back and hear it. It was a pretty significant shift for me. She mentioned that these have traditionally been taught as attitudes that we are to be, but that's not what they are. They're not attitudes that we are to be. They are descriptors of people who are in the kingdom. It's a pronouncement of good news to those people who have previously felt like they were on the outside, and Jesus speaks to them and says, no, you are actually on the inside. So when we get to blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and now today blessed or happy, if you remember, blessed is not necessarily a great translation. We probably should be translating that happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We have to be reminded of a couple things as we get to this week's segment. I, I know this is redundant for some of us, but for those of you who are just joining, I hope this will set some of the foundations. Happiness is not found in the condition of being meek. Happiness is not found in the condition of being poor. Happiness is not found in the condition of mourning. Happiness is found in the kingdom promise that comes to those who are mourning. Happiness comes in the kingdom, hope that comes to those who are meek. Happiness comes because of the kingdom that is coming to those who are poor in spirit. So this is a declarative statement. Those people who are poor in spirit, those people who are mourning, those people who are meek, when previously had thought they were not on the inside of the kingdom, Jesus is making a declaration, yes, you are. And you are not happy because you are meek. You are happy because the kingdom promise and hope is coming to you and even you. And even though it might seem like it's going to other people, it is also coming to you. So that's the foundation of where we go with the rest of these Beatitudes. And we have to now rethink a little bit of what these terms mean and what it is that these Beatitudes are sharing with us. Now, since I've shared that, I'd like to share a little bit of some of the background of how this phrase has normally been translated in the original Greek and in our kind of American colloquial use, and then shift to a little bit of the status of what being meek means when it comes to inheriting the kingdom. So the first is simply, the Greek word praus just simply means mild, humble, patient, docile, tame, submissive, and compliant. Now, again, this is how this word has traditionally been used and translated and understood. And sometimes it's important to kind of 
sit with that and call it out. This is kind of a funny thing, dare to be meek. There's trying, they're trying to be ironic in that particular statement. And one of the ways that which, in which we understand how terms have traditionally been used is to look at the opposite of it. For example, the opposite of meek is assertive. And so we have traditionally thought about meekness as somebody who is not assertive, somebody who is submissive, somebody who is docile, somebody who just kind of lays down and lets people run over them. Um, The opposite of meek is often understood as boastful, somebody who brags. And so we have sometimes interpreted the word meek to mean humble, somebody who thinks lowly of themselves. Some people think of the opposite of meek as being strong. Now, this video, I don't know if you know these people or not, they're called the Power Team. They are a Christian organization that you can pay to come to your school, your office, or your church, and they will put on tremendous feats of strength and power in a very dazzling show and production, and then afterwards provide a gospel message for how you too through the power of the Holy Spirit, can overcome your evils, can overcome your dilemmas, can overcome your challenges. And it's pretty spectacular, actually. I mean, and then that's a phone book that he's ripping in half right there. And so I thought um, we, I've invited them to come. Okay, guys. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Wouldn't that be amazing, though, if I had the power team here right now? We don't have the power team uh, here right now, but you can go to their website and you can see how they make an impact on your community. And again, when part of the the thinking about what is the opposite of the term, I think about the power team, somebody who's strong and assertive. Now, I don't have the power team here, but I thought we would um, do a little bit of a meekness test because I did bring some, I can't believe they actually print these. These are actual yellow pages. Actually, these are... Uh, Paginas Amarias in Espanol. That's exactly what those are. And I thought uh, Ezekiel and Naomi and Cladis, you're going to come on up here. Let's, uh, I'm gonna, this is a little bit of a meekness test. Come on up. Uh, where'd your son go? Here, Charles is going to come help me. And Sammy, you're going to help. All right, here we go. Now, here's what we're going to do. This is going to be a little bit of a meekness test. Um, if they can do this, you're going to, again, the whole point is you're supposed to rip in half this direction. Now, these are smaller, so it's a little bit easier, um, but you're going to rip in half. By the time the music starts, you have 45 seconds to rip that book in half to see if you can do it. We'll see who is actually meek and who is strong. Are you ready? Set? Go at 45 seconds. Come on, come on, power team. Power team. Power team. Josh, stop it. Go, power team it. No, no, the whole thing at the same time. The whole thing at the same time. See. <laughs> Where, come on, you said you were strong. You said you could do this. You, oh. <laughs> no? Oh. Well. Okay. All right, well. Congratulations. You all have passed the meekness test. Here, let me see. I did this earlier. I did, I did do this earlier. Yeah, that's, that's how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> I learned this trick a long time ago. I just thought, this has nothing to do with the sermon. I thought I'd just show off. All right, give my volunteers a big round of applause. If you want to take the yellow pages, you can. 
the opposite of meek, being strong. And now I want to make a disclaimer that as we continue talking about meekness and the value of meekness, um, I actually do see value in what the power team is doing, um, and I, I don't want to, I want to make sure that I say that out loud and say that clearly, that this is not a disparaging of other people's ministry or other people's work. It is just simply to illustrate once again that when we think about meekness, sometimes we have a hesitancy to that word or we have a hesitancy to that value or that virtue because it means weakness. And even sounds like weakness is the opposite of what strength is. But there are different ways of thinking about this uh, word. There's, there's different connotations that can come with this word meek and what it means to be mild and humble. Let me give you one particular way of thinking about it that may be helpful. I found this story by General Peter Pace. He's a general in the United States Army. And he was interviewed for this uh, journal a while back. And he was interviewed for this journal to talk a little bit about his successes and his failures. And in this particular story, there's a demonstration of meekness, which is humility, docility, submissiveness. But it comes within a position or within a context of extreme pressure um, or other confrontations. Listen to this particular story. There was an event in Vietnam where I almost made a serious mistake. We had been on patrol, and a young Marine named Lance Corporal Guido Farinaro, 19 years old, from Beth Page, New York, was killed by a sniper. The bullet came from a nearby village. I was the platoon leader, and he was my machine gun squad leader. I was enraged and I called in an artillery strike to get the sniper. Then I looked to my right and saw 21-year-old Sergeant Reed Zachary. He did not say a thing, but he simply looked at me, and I knew what I was about to do was wrong. I called off the artillery strike, and we swept the village as I should have done in the first place. We found nothing but women and children as the sniper was long gone. I don't know that I could have lived with myself had I done what I originally planned to do. I don't think I would be standing in front of you today. I had almost allowed the rage of the moment to overcome what I thought was some substantial thinking about who I was going to be in combat. After the event, I called my platoon together in a little bombed-out crater, and I apologized to them. I told them, had it not been for Sergeant Zachary, I probably would not have made the right decision. The reaction of the platoon was amazing. It was a very warm family response, and I learned that, that a leader admitting mistakes and thanking those who point them out to him or her is really important. Did this affect your decision-making process? Yes. I have found that you should never let anybody rush you into making that decision. The more important, the more you should think. But equally important is to take a look at the decision from other people's perspectives. Ask yourself, what would my boss expect me to do? What would my peers expect me to do? What would my subordinates expect me to do? If you can get outside your own body and look back on yourself from various viewpoints, you can help yourself see a path ahead. Then, at the end of the day, you go with the thing that you are most comfortable with, not necessarily with what any of them thinks. So there is a story that we could categorize under the word meekness. And in that particular definition, if I can help shift maybe the cultural connotations, it is possible to read this phrase, happy are the meek, by saying happy are those who have the ability 
to maintain a sense of flexibility, docility, submissiveness. Even in the face of tremendous pressure, impulse, rage, the momentary thing where the most instantaneous movement or decision you want to take is somehow squelched or tampered with a moment of clarity, with a moment of meekness. So in that particular definition, I actually think there could be some beautiful virtue with redefining meekness as actually compliancy and submissiveness in the face of tremendous pressure and impulse. And to be able to do the thing that is most important, most wise, even when everything within you or everything around you is causing you and pushing you and pressuring you to do the other thing. So that's one definition. But again, part of what we want to do in this study is to dig one level deeper. One level deeper. The word meek in the original Hebrew is the word anav. And that word also means devout and humble, very similar to the word meek in English. But it has this other connotation to it. It means bowed, afflicted, poor, or humiliated. Now, those are very different terms from the previous set of definitions. Afflicted, poor, humiliated. In rabbinical circles and Jewish circles, there's actually a comparison between the word anav, which means meek or humble, and the word anavim. You can hear it. It's the exact same sound, even though it's a different word. And the word anav means meek or humble, but the word anavim means grapes. And the reason why those two are together is there's some meaning and some correlation that you can see. Here's a segment, uh, an excerpt from the Midrash, uh, from the Talmud. Just as a grapevine has large and small clusters and the large clusters hang lower, so too with the Jewish people, whoever labors in Torah and is greater in Torah seems lower than his fellow due to his humility. In fact, so the more study that you do, the more that you attain, just like a grapevine bends itself lower under its weight, so too those who are wise and who are studied bend lower in humility. So there's this beautiful connection between anav and anavim, the humble that have been made low and the grapes that are pulled down lower. In this particular definition, the term doesn't just mean compliant. It actually means a position that is lower than other people, bowed. And it has this connotation of injustice as well, afflicted. It does mean devout, can mean humble, but it also means poor, humiliated, and oppressed. And you see this no clearer than when you read some of the prophets, the ancients who spoke out desperately against those who have been oppressed. This is from the book of Amos. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of of sandals. For those of you who pay attention to where our own clothing come from, these passages speak clearly and prophetically even to us today. They who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and push, here it is, anavim, the afflicted, the meek, out of the way. Father and son go into the same girl. 
so that my holy name is profaned. Of course, there's always this sexual perversion that happens as well. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God, they drink wine bought with fines they imposed. Amos is this beautiful prophetic message against those who are oppressing other people. Who are the oppressed? Anav, the meek. There's, uh, this theme shows up all over several times, dozens of times in the Psalms. Here's just a couple examples. Psalm chapter 9, verse 18. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor perishes forever. These are not characteristics of somebody's attitude or attributes of their virtuous posture. This is the state of being, the condition that they are in as a result of economics, as a result of society, whatever. The wicked bought a one-way ticket to hell. No longer will the meek, here translated the poor, no longer will the poor be nameless. No more humiliation for the humble. Up, God. Aren't you fed up with their empty strutting? Expose these grand pretensions. Shake them up, God. Show them how silly they look from the message. So one definition of meek is a virtue and a characteristic of holding strength even in the face of temptation, even in, strength, even in the face of impulse. But the other definition that seems to be at play here in the Beatitudes is this definition. The condition of somebody who has been oppressed, somebody who has been afflicted, somebody who has been made low as a result of all sorts of possible situations, social, political, economic situations. These people have been oppressed and put down. And immediately as you start to think about that definition of meek, I can imagine there's a lot of us in this room that know people or have felt that way ourselves. As a result, perhaps, of our race or our ethnicity, we have been put down. We have been lowered, oppressed. As a result of your socioeconomic status, you have been put down, lowered, oppressed, and afflicted. As a result of your political ideas or ideologies, put down, oppressed, or afflicted. For whatever reason, people put you down, oppressed, and afflict you. These are not just virtues. These are not just characteristics. This is about people who have experienced the condition of being set aside, of not being welcomed in. Blessed are the meek, those who have been afflicted. Side note, this is the exact same word that is used in Numbers chapter 12 to describe Moses. Many of us in the church, when we grow, as we've grown up with this verse, we know that this is one of the humorous verses because Moses is supposedly writing this. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone else on the face of the earth. And I, Moses, am the one authoring this, right? But with this new definition, it is possible that you could read this verse, now the man Moses was very low, afflicted, oppressed. And when you think about that definition in the story, it gives a whole new layer of definition because Moses kept trying and trying and trying, and he kept getting pushed down and oppressed by the people he was trying to free. So that's another possible way of thinking about this phrase. 
Now, the next part of this beatitude, blessed or happy are the meek, is this phrase, for they will inherit the earth. So let me just take a few moments and see if we can flesh out this phrase, inheritance. If any of you in this room have any sort of capital or estate, you know that at some particular time in your life, you're going to have to do one of these. This is not something that we like to think about. Nobody wants to think about death and dying, but this is something that we have to do. Now, for those of you in this room who have never done this, take a quick moment and think or consider, if you had to give over all of your possessions, all of your earnings, everything of earthly value that you own to somebody as a part of your last will and testament because of your untimely death, who are the people that are immediately coming to your mind? Now think about that. Just hold that for a second. If you were to sign off and fill out a last will and testament, in other words, you were to give this to somebody as a result of your untimely death, who are the people that immediately come to mind? And I'm going to guess, because this is what happens to me, that the people that are coming to mind are the people that are most close to me, the people that are my family, the people that are my close friends, my relatives, my child, the people that I care most deeply about. When you read the word inheritance, unfortunately, it's easy to slip into a mere economic definition or connotation of inheritance. But when you read inheritance in the New Testament, in the biblical scriptures, you don't read inheritance just merely as, here's what the money that you get. Inheritance is immediately connected with relationship, the person that you are close to. Uh, It shows up in the parable of the lost son in Luke chapter 15. It shows up in Matthew chapter 25, the sheep and the goats, where Jesus at the very end is separating the sheep from the goats and the sheep are brought into the inheritance of the kingdom. The word simply means to take hold, to possess, and to receive the earth. So this phrase, they will inherit the earth, is to take hold and to possess everything that God has and owns. And the focus of this phrase and this idea and this concept is if you are an inheritor of what God owns, then you are a part of his family. Inheritance has the connotation that whatever status you have, if you are an inheritor of what God owns, you are, by definition, his child, his family. You are the one that is signed on the dotted line to receive that which God owns. In other words, this phrase, for they will inherit the earth, is a phrase to not describe what you're going to get, but what status or what family you are a part of. Are you the downtrodden, the poor, the oppressed, the afflicted, the humiliated, the victims? And here's the great, beautiful, powerful message of this beatitude. Once again, because of the condition of the kingdom that is coming to you. If you are downtrodden, you are on the outside, you don't get anything, you're not on the in club. If you're poor, you have suffered the injustice. If you're oppressed, there are other people that are against you, not for you. If you're afflicted, humiliated, if you're a victim, that's what you feel and sense as your status. But happy are those who are meek. 
Happy are the anavim, the people who have been put in this position. Why? Because you are going to inherit the earth, which means that you are ultimately, fundamentally, a part of the family of God. Where one group of people have, has completely rejected you and don't want to have anything to do with you, God comes and says, I want everything to do with you. So if you've ever felt on the outside, and by the way, if you've ever felt on the outside of the church, because this is what gets me sometimes so crazy, is that oftentimes the people who read these amazing passages about the love and the grace and, you know, the family of God are often the ones to declare, you're in, you're in, you're out, you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. And I know that there's people listening to this, including myself, who at some particular point in your time have felt, I don't belong here for whatever particular reason. Then this, is, this beatitude is for you. Happy are you, the one who has been pushed out. Why? Because you're going to inherit the earth. Happy are you because you, you, you are the part of the family of God. Not the oppressors. Not the people that are bringing the affliction. You. The one who has suffered. The one who has been put under injustice. You know, I work with kids. I think about the kids on the playground who have been bullied. I think about the people who happen to have a different sexual identity who have been ostracized. I think about the people of a particular political bent, and they say, we don't want you here. I think about people of different races and cultures and ethnicities say, because you're different, you don't belong here. This beatitude is for you. Happy are you because you are part of this family. And again, if you remember back to Danielle's message, think about all the people that she's talking to, the Romans and the Jews and the Greeks and all the people that are coming from all sorts of different places. And we don't have time to get into this, but it appears as if there's all sorts of different class systems that existed. If you didn't happen to be a part of any one of those classes, you were on the outside. You were oppressed. You were afflicted. You were outside. And then Jesus comes and says, happy are all of you. Why? Because this is your family. You've been on the outside in this movement. You're on the inside. Now, I need to close it up here. And there's no better way to close it up than to read Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Because the secret of this particular message has actually already been done. Jesus didn't come up with this phrase, blessed are the meek or happy are the meek for they will inherit the earth. He's stealing from David. Pay attention to what he does here. Because all of what we just talked about is summed up one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible in these Psalms. Do not fret because of those who are evil. Or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. In other words, this psalm is kind of like saying, hang on, it's going to be okay. I know what it's like right now. Hang on, it's going to be okay. Trust in the Lord, do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, even in the midst of your circumstance, even in the midst of oppression and affliction, even in the midst of injustice. And he will do this. He will make your righteousness. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still. 
even in your affliction before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Which again is that impulse. When bad things are done, I immediately want to refrain. Don't fret. It's only going to lead to more evil. Breathe. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. Yes, that's what I'm wanting. The wicked to get out of here. But the meek, those who have been oppressed, the afflicted, they will inherit the land, the earth. Same word, land and earth. And enjoy peace and prosperity. And I think what Jesus is doing, he's taking the full breadth of this psalm, the full thrust of this beautiful, poetic, it's going to be okay, and summing it up and saying, you are invited in. I know it's bad. I know there's terrible things. Seek the Lord. Don't fret. Don't return evil with evil. You will inherit the earth. It's coming for you. Again, happiness is not found in the condition. Happiness is found that the kingdom promise, that that peace and that prosperity is coming to you. It's the kingdom hope. It's the kingdom coming. It's the community that you are a part of. Because guess what? All of us in this room, at one particular point, have been afflicted, oppressed, set on the outside. And it behooves us, therefore, to make sure that we also extend to those who aren't here, that same welcome. Oh, did somebody kick you out? Did somebody tell you you weren't worthy? Did somebody tell, me, tell you that you weren't valuable? Happy are you. Why? Because this is your family. You get to inherit this earth. You get to inherit this. It's going to be okay. Jesus, thank you so much for your words, for your blessings, and for your commission and call and for the status and reality that all of us get to enjoy, that we are a part of your family. I pray that we get to soak in the depths and all of the riches of what it means to inherit that which you already own. And may we feel called close and in communion once again with your family, that we belong here, And that even though there's a season and a time for affliction and oppression, we are happy. Because your peace and your prosperity is coming. We pray in your name.